When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Denny Somak, and this is The Rock Podcast. And on this episode, it's all about yes. Okay, so there's been at least 20 members in this band. I figured I'll try and see what I can gather up from the archives and make this fairly comprehensive. We're going to have to do other episodes because you can't do everything about them in one, but I think I've put together a pretty good collection of stories here. Now, Yes is one of the most successful, influential, and longest-lasting progressive rock bands ever. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017. So I'm going to give you a little of their history throughout the years. We begin with John Anderson, who talks about the name of the band, and then we'll get into more of the history. In the earliest times, uh, Peter Banks was the re- original guitar player, and he came up with the name Yes. And we needed a short name. It was either World, Life, or Yes. And Yes was so obscure, I thought, no, that's pretty good. Let's do that one, you know? And everybody we told, what's the group called? We'd say, Yes. What? Well, what's the group called, though? said, oh, yes, that's what it is. And it was just so off the wall. And uh, happily, it works. Yes formed in 1968, following the chance meeting between John Anderson and Chris Squire in London. Chris had been in a band called The Sin with guitarist Peter Banks. Here's Peter to pick up the story. Chris was, was in another band, um, and we had a phone conversation. I said, how's your band doing? And, you know, what are they called? And he says, oh, we're called Yes. And it was pretty simple. I went down to see them rehearse in a little, um, little cellar underneath a, a cafe called The Lucky Horseshoe in Shaftesbury Avenue. And I thought they were terrific. And so I joined, and I, I think then we auditioned Bill Bruford uh, we got him out of the Melody Maker ad, and he, he joined because he said he had a Premier drum kit, but it actually it was, we were very into, into, that was the kit to have at the time. Yeah, yeah got to have a Premier kit, yeah. you know, that's the brand. Yeah. And then we found out that it was a bit of an Olympic drum, and it was, it'd been cobbled <laughs> together. Uh, but Bill was fantastic, you know, and uh, I thought, ah, oh, you know, because I was always... Uh, leaning more towards jazz and Bill was a, a die-hard bebopper at the time and we had a lot of uh, Bill taught me quite a lot about um, uh, about jazz I didn't know him we used to sit around and listen to John Coltrane and, and Sonny Rollins and all that kind of thing uh, so that was that was good and then yes we I think we only rehearsed for a week or two weeks and then we did a gig 
And I think the second gig was at the Marquee. And then we got a residency mm. at the Marquee. First as a support band and then as the main band. The writing didn't come till a little later. I mean, John had a lot of ideas for songs. And, um, but because of the short rehearsal time, we just... Um, we were doing covers. We did Beatles. We did uh, a traffic song, Heaven Is In Your Mind. We did a thing by uh, The Fifth Dimension, um, Carpet Man. Uh, we did Eleanor Rigby. And they were great. Um, and the whole premise was, if we were going to do a cover, let's make it sound very different to what, what you expect. Um, kind of like Vanilla Fudge were doing at, at that time. And that, that was our unspoken manifesto, that, that we didn't want to sound like any other band. I was desperately trying to avoid playing blues guitar licks. Uh, which most guitar players were doing at that that time, and and I was very consciously going out out of the way to to avoid cliches that came from other guitar players. So we would take a, a piece of music and then stick a bit of cowboy music in it, you know. So you, you want something from the Magnificent Seven? We can do that. Um, and it was just we just cobbled together bits of everything. Let's put a bit of uh, Gustav Holst in here. Let's have a little bit of Stravinsky in here. And for some bizarre reason, it worked, and we became pretty good. Bill and I used to like to go off on a tangent and extend things, and I often used to think, well, I'm not going to play the same as I played last night. I'm going to play everything completely different, which for the lead singer, for John, was fantastically annoying because he'd have all this stuff going on behind him, and I'd be throwing in little things, and Bill would be not playing on the beat it was great it was very inventive but very difficult for 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 singing to strange band we i mean we weren't really a rock band um, i don't know what we were but it was certainly um we certainly didn't sound like mm. anybody else pretty good times i, I think uh, though personally we we had a lot of problems you know every, every gig there would be a, a kind of post-mortem yeah, about well, that was horrible. You were too loud. You were playing an F sharp when you're supposed to be playing a D natural. All that every night, you know. And John particularly would be haranguing us and saying, you know, this is terrible. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. And if you didn't get your say, you were out. I mean, which has happened to me on, on the first time because I was a bit, um, maybe a little quieter. Not not quite as as vociferous as maybe as I should have been. So that band was He Who Shouted the Loudest got his say. Yeah. A terrific band, really. Banks, who tragically died in 2013 of heart failure, was replaced by Steve Howe for the third record, the Yes album. Peter says he was kicked out of the band. I was kicked out. At Luton Technical College was, was the final gig, and I didn't know, had no idea... Um, and after the gig, I was just, um, John and Chris said it might be good if, if you left. And apparently Bill and Tony didn't even know about this till after the gig. John once said I was more into my clothes than the, than the music. Now, what I'm going to do next is I have a very unique clip I want to play. I got this from a friend of mine, Ed Shockey, a legendary disc jockey from Philadelphia. He heard I was working on a Yes Radio special for NBC uh, back in the 1980s. And he thought I might want to use this because of its historical value. It's the very first interview with the band on American radio. Ed, who was a big fan, went to the airport to pick them up when they came to America for the first time. There was no date in Philadelphia, 
but they played in Asbury Park at the convention center on July 9, 1971. Here's that interview with John Anderson, Steve Howe, and Bill Bruford. A three of yes here. We have John Anderson and uh, Steve Howe, and Bill Bruford. John is the vocalist. And you do a little percussion, it says. Yes. It's hard to tell from listening to the records exactly who does what, you know. Uh, and none of us have ever seen you because you've never been here before. You, you understand that. Steve Howe on electric and acoustic guitars, and Bill Bruford on uh, drums and other assorted percussions. <clears throat> well, let me see. How about if John comes up here? Uh, John and Bill were are from the beginning of the group, right? I yeah. guess, John, you're sort of like the leader. Are you, you well, there was uh, right the me. Me and the Chris, the bass player, we, we sort of formed a band uh, late in 69. Was it 69? Yes. Late in 69 it was, yeah. Hello. And uh, Bill was with us then. We were like a three-piece. <clears throat> and then we got uh, Tori Kay, the organist, about six months later. And we finally, finally arrived with Steve Howe about a year ago. Right. There was another uh, guitarist on your first yeah, show. Yeah, that's Peter Banks. Right. Yeah. He freaked out a bit. Uh, I don't know where he's That was going. a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, somebody just called me uh, just in a couple of months ago and said, Hey, whatever happened to that? They said, yeah. Did you notice that Yes changed guitars? Because <coughs> the new album is, is very new still. I think yes. it's the most famous thing we ever did, actually. He changed guitars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In Luton. And uh, Peter Banks just kind of yeah, well, disappeared. Peter uh, was a very good guitarist, uh, but we kind of didn't seem to get on with him too well. And, uh, you know, we seemed to lose contact with him musically on finally mentally if you like mm -hmm. so we decided to get a new guitarist in, and we were very lucky to find mr steve Clark. where did you find him he was just wandering around he the was wandering around, around. He, he wasn't he wasn't doing anything were you with another group yeah i've been in bands for a long time but i was out of it there's a review in the new rolling stone which uh, we just picked up about your album, and uh, it's a good review. <coughs> I didn't read it yet. Well, I think it's a pretty good review. Bill's been hugging. And they said one of the things about your band that makes it so distinctive is is your falsetto vocals or your high, you know, your high pitch vocals. And they said that they're glad that you didn't that somebody didn't try to force you to sound like everybody else by putting in low voice yeah. vocals and things like that. You know, yeah. I guess John, you well, take credit, I guess, for that. Oh, well, I don't know. Uh, I listen a lot to uh, Beach Boys and. Fifth dimension, and you get you get vibrations from all that kind of. This is yes, and they just happen to uh, be in town. They're going to be playing in Wildwood tonight, in fact. But I think the concert is sold out. That's what we understand. Members of Yes, with their first interview in America, they had just released the Yes album, which is one of their classics. Now, Ahmed Erdogan, legendary co-founder of Atlantic Records, who signed the band, said this. I think that there was a significant change in. Uh, their conception of their music, which occurred, I guess, at the first album that we really felt that on was uh, the Yes album. We really had paid dirt, so to speak, and they really found their style. The Yes album started to get some traction as the band toured, and the next thing you know, they go into the studio and they do another album called Fragile, and this really brings them to their biggest success to date because it's got Roundabout on it, and it has Rick Wakeman, who just joined the band, replacing Tony Kay. Tony talks about his leaving. We played support to um, Jethro Tull on the first tour. And um, America never really seen anything like ours. We gradually built up a following. 
over here and you knew that yes was going to you know do something over here they were they were definitely going to go a long way and i knew at the end of that american tour and then we went back to england and played a big concert uh, which was my last concert uh, at crystal palace and um, suddenly there was you know the first concert there was thousands and thousands of people there so and i left after that that was that was my last concert with them so i knew that, that it was going to be big but um it wasn't for me at that time tony went on to play with uh, david bowie later badfinger before eventually rejoining yes for the 90125 album enter rick wakeman this is co-founder chris squire at that time you know we wanted to evolve you know the keyboards we wanted to sort of start using uh, the mellotrons and the early uh, moog synthesizers and stuff and um tony wasn't uh, totally sure that that was the right thing to do because um, he felt uh, really at home with the Hammond and the piano and stuff like that because he understood them and so I don't think he wanted to rush into sort of um, getting lots of new technology instruments that he didn't really understand you know but of course Rick Wakeman was kind of already doing it. A little background on Rick Wakeman he'd been in a band called the Straubs and had done a number of sessions notably David Bowie on Space Oddity and Life on Mars, Cat Stevens on Morning is Broken, and he played on Elton John's Madman Across the Water and Lou Reed's first solo album and a lot of others. In fact, if you go to one of Rick's solo concerts, he plays a number of those songs in his show. I have a clip here from Rick talking about the audience who comes to see a Yes concert, and it's the perfect explanation. Yes concerts are something unique in as much as you've got to like Yes music to queue up to come to a concert. You don't get very many kids who come, well, I think I'll go on the off chance. Because it's not that sort of music that you can go on the off chance to listen to. You've got to love it to come. Continuing the saga of Yes, the next to leave was Bill Bruford. He wanted to join King Crimson, which he did, and then he played with Genesis for a bit. Bill Bruford had his own style. What kind of drummer was he? And I was really a jazz drummer in Yes. It's just that having heard that drums could be played in another way, having heard it via jazz, then I just bought this to pop. I thought all pop musicians were going to play like that. I didn't know that pop drummers played real simple stuff. It just nobody told me to stop playing jazz, so I played jazz in, in, in what I thought was pop, but I mean, it turned out to be jazz in Yes. I don't know if you saw a recent poll that came out and Bill was picked the number one progressive drummer of all time. That brings us to drummer Alan White. He joined the band just in time to record the triple live album titled Yes Songs. Alan had uh, played with John Lennon and the Plastic Ono Band. That's him on Instant Karma and Imagine. He also played on George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. And he was uh, playing with Joe Cocker when he got the call to join Yes. I got the phone call in Rome from a man who actually manages this band now, Tony Dimitriotis, who was my friend then. He called me in Rome and said, yes, I would like you to join them. And I was doing the last gig of the Joe Cocker tour at that time. So it all kind of fit, fit in together. Jumped on the plane the next day, you know. And uh, then John and Chris came around to see me. He said they'd throw me out of the window if I didn't join the band. And Chris is a lot bigger than I am. And uh, I said, OK. <laughs> yes has a unique relationship with the visual artist Roger Dean. So we should talk about him and how he got started designing album covers and T-shirts. John Anderson. The main feeling about bringing in Roger Dean was to 
stamp a, te a sort of a visual thing to the band because we didn't think we were very visual to look at. We weren't uh, sort of um, Mick Jagger or uh, Bowie or very outward going people. We were very sort of introverted on stage visually. We just play our music. We thought we were just musicians and that was it. And we didn't have to dance around to prove any point. We just had to play our music. So we had to cover that by uh, adding more texture and colour to the staging and the record sleeves. And uh, Roger Dean was perfect to bring out uh, the colour of the music in a way, the texture of the music in art. And that was one of the reasons why we used Roger. Yes, continued putting out very adventurous albums. Close to the Edge, which is my favorite, Tales from Topographic Oceans, and then Relayer, which marks the end of Rick Wakeman's first involvement with the band. He would subsequently join and leave several times uh, over the years. This is where Patrick Mraz joins for the Relayer album. Mraz was in a band called Refugee that was a progressive rock band formed in 1973. It consisted of vocalist and bassist Lee Jackson and drummer Brian Davison. Both had been in the nice with Keith Emerson, so this was an attempt to recreate that sound. But Patrick was contacted to be in Yes, and we want to include something from him. I had to learn nine albums of, of Yes's material uh, in, in a, a couple of weeks or whatever, during, actually, and, and recording at the same time, Relayer. So it was a very big, you know, learning and, and very intense period of my life there, you know. And then getting ready to go on tour in the States. But having, I had been in the States before, but I had never played in the States, you know. And although I was, I was playing big concerts with Refugee and selling out, you know, festivals and our own 3,000-seaters, to jump from a 3,000-seater to a... A 15,000-seater or 20,000-seater arena or whatever is, is a big jump, you know. And I was, like, imagining this, and it, it, was, uh, it was very strange. The next part of the Yes story occurs in 1980, when John Anderson and Rick Wakeman quit. Chris Squire, Steve Howe, and Alan White pick up the pieces, and they connect with Jeff Downs and Trevor Horn, who were in a band called The Buggles. And this version of Yes records the drama album. Jeff Downs. I think people imagine that with our connection with them, we, we, we're going to sort of try and reduce the uh, length of the songs to sort of three and a half minutes and um, make it all zap, 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 you know. That's not the case, actually. Most of the tracks are around ten minutes long and they're sort of, uh, each one is a sort of Meisterwerk. Trevor Horn was the vocalist on drama, and when John Anderson rejoined Yes, Trevor became the producer. When I went to hear them, they sounded really good. They played great in the rehearsal studios. And I, you know, I mean, I suppose I have a weak spot for Yes, having been in it and having been a fan of it for a long time. And I thought it would be a great change to go from rhythm boxes and synthesizers to producing people who really played for a change. After the drama album and a worldwide tour, which included a live broadcast over NBC Radio from Madison Square Garden on September 5, 1980, which I produced, and was the first time a rock band had been broadcast live from the Garden, the band split up. Chris Squire and Alan White teamed up with their old bandmate, Tony Kay, and a South African guitarist, writer, and vocalist by the name of Trevor Rabin to form a new group to be called Cinema. Chris Squire. 
I had had a, a demo tape of his a year earlier, which uh, I'd listened to, but some of the songs on it weren't particularly to my taste, so I, I kind of always just stored it in the back of my memory that the guy was obviously good. Uh, but then uh, this guy from Atlantic was helping me put this project together. You know, he, uh, he brought his name up again and suggested that uh, he come over and, uh, you know, play. Trevor Raven. When I joined the band, it was just Alan, myself, and Chris, and it wasn't going to be yes, and so we had no preconceived ideas of what it was going to be at that point, and actually went ahead, and uh, then Tony uh, joined the band, and the, we were going to call it Cinema, and uh, we went into the studio under that name, thinking in in those terms rather than, you know, the guidelines of what a yes album would be. But obviously, the, the strong influence of of Alan and Chris and was was obviously there and would make it sound that way no matter what no matter what happened but um, so there, there were there was a lot of freedom in doing what we wanted to do because I hadn't joined yes uh, we'd got this band together and then John joined so I was very lucky in that I wasn't asked do you want to come and join yes because then I, there would have been preconceived ideas of what it should or shouldn't be Whereas this way I could bring songs which I'd written and ideas and styles which I obviously inherently have, as any musician does, and not have to manipulate them in, or pull them out of what they naturally are. When they finished what was to become their debut album, Chris contacted John Anderson to see what he thought. John was blown away, decided to rejoin. And of course, they now had to call the band Yes. So the album was titled 90125. The story behind that unusual title is uh, they didn't know what they wanted to call it, and Atlantic Records had issued it a catalog number. It was 90125, so they went with that. So that's the first part of the Yes story. As I mentioned at the top of this episode, we'll have future Yes tales. But to bring you up to date, Yes recently celebrated their 50th anniversary and released an album, The Quest, Today, yes, are Steve Howe, Jeff Downs, John Davison, Billy Sherwood, and Jay Shellen. And they have announced their new studio album, Mirror to the Sky. And will be touring and playing selections from it, as well as their classics from across their entire career. So that's it. I want to thank you for listening and being part of the Rock Podcast. Tell your friends about it. We're available at all the usual locations where you get your podcasts. We even have a video version on YouTube. And of course, it's all free. You can find us at the website, therockpodcast.com, and on Facebook. You can also send your comments and let me know your thoughts. Contact me at hello at therockpodcast.com. I love hearing from you. So until next time, goodbye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.